As we go to God's word together, let's ask him to open it to us. Let's pray. As we open your word, hear us, O Lord, as we call to you, be gracious to us and answer us. For you have said, seek my face, and our hearts say to you now, your face, Lord, do we seek. Please do not hide your face from us, but reveal it to us in Christ. Teach us your way, O Lord, and lead us on a level path. For we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. If you're visiting with us, we've been considering a series through the book of Philippians, and we've come to chapter 3, verse 12. Chapter 3, verse 12. Uh, For the sake of context, I'm going to begin our reading at verse 7 of chapter 3, but our text for this morning will be uh, verses 12 through 16. So Philippians chapter 3, beginning our reading at verse 7, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ." the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Um, Well, Paul is particularly using in this text an athletic metaphor. Uh, Not all of us like athletics, not all of us like uh, sports, and those of us who do are maybe often disappointed by them. Um, I know supporting the Padres, I've gotten used to disappointment over the years, um, because every spring it begins anew, right? And everybody's straining for the goal of being in the World Series, and everybody's hoping they can win a title. And about this time of year, the reality is, is striking you in the face, and you realize that as you have to say most years, we'll always say, well, there's always next year. Um, most, of the, most of the teams are, are being filtered out, and there's only a few that are left competing for that prize, and soon October will begin, and the teams that are making the playoffs will fight it out, and eventually one team will win the World Series. Um, every team starts with that one goal. Now, that's the nature of athletic endeavors. Uh, There's always one goal to be had, and we know that only one team, one person can achieve that goal. Um, College football begins and everybody wants to be number one. 
Uh, the NFL season begins, everyone wants to win the Super Bowl. The Olympics begin, every athlete wants to win the gold medal in their category. That's the nature of athletic contests. Um, and Paul is going to use athletic imagery in this passage to talk about that goal to which all Christians should be pressing. That just as every team and every individual in these different athletic endeavors is pressing towards one goal, Christians likewise should be pressing towards one goal. Um, and Paul, in the course of this letter, has been telling us over and over again that the first thing we need to do if we are going to achieve the goal is to get our minds right and then get our lives right. Um, as, as one commentator put it, the, the secret to Christian living is Christian thinking. And that shouldn't be surprising to us, even if we're going to use an athletic uh, metaphor. Um, people who compete at a high level don't roll out of bed and just start playing. Um, that's why I never achieved at a high level. I didn't think about it much before we went out there. Um, but people who actually are good at things, they think about it before they go out there. They'll tell you that having the right mindset is important to doing the right thing. Um, and that's been Paul's pattern over and over again in this letter. We have to get our minds right if we are really going to get our lives right. We have to have the mind that was in Christ Jesus, he said. Uh, that mind that was focused on the things of the Father, because that's what led to his life being on the things of his Father. Um, and there too, in this passage, what Paul's been doing and throughout this letter is saying we need to get our minds right so that we can get our lives right. And Paul in this passage, in, in the close context of chapter 3, has been talking about where our minds ought to be, where we should be devoted, what should we should be looking to, what we should be looking for. Paul said, I'm looking away from everything that was mine. I'm counting that all as rubbish for the sake of Christ. That's my devotion. That's my focus. That's where my mind is. And he says, that's where my mind is so that that's where my life can go. And that's what he's really talking about in these verses, in verses 12 through 16, what our lives should look like when our minds are right. And so what Paul is going to do for the church and for us under the influence of the Holy Spirit is to tell us the secret to Christian living, um, how, how we are to live lives of service to God. And Paul says in the first place, it involves making an accurate assessment of who we are and what we should be after, that we need to do that in our lives, make an accurate assessment of who we are and what we should be after. And having made that accurate assessment, then we need to actively pursue holiness. So first we have an accurate assessment, then an active pursuit, and finally Paul calls them to unified thinking. Now, it's not Paul's fault that we don't have three A's. That's my fault, but uh, better the right word than it fit the pattern. Um, so we want to make an accurate assessment. We want to have an active pursuit of the things that are pleasing to God and be unified in our thinking as a church. That's what Paul's calling God's people to. Um, first, that we need to make an accurate assessment. Uh, Paul begins by an assessment of himself that is very important for what he's going to go on to say. Um, and it might not seem the most profound assessment for him to make of himself when he says, I'm not perfect. 
Notice that's where his assessment of himself begins in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, the resurrection from the dead, or am already perfect. Um, Now that might not seem too profound. We say that all the time in our culture. Nobody's perfect. Um, So the fact that Paul says I'm not perfect maybe doesn't uh, make much of an impact or strike us as a particularly profound thing to say. But I think there's a reason that's being said in this passage. Paul wants to make it clear to the church that he has not arrived as a Christian. He's not a finished product. Um, And I think he needs to say that to the church because there were people in the church who were tempted to think of themselves as as being those who had arrived. Um, That they were who they needed to be. Um, That they had arrived where they needed to be. That they were really being made perfect. And Paul, I think, as, a, as an apostle, as a pastor, as someone who wants to make sure his people are making an accurate assessment of themselves, is coming and saying to them, look, I have not arrived. And I think the point of that is so that he can say to his people, if I've not arrived, then you've not arrived. Right? Because they would have looked up to Paul as a model, as an example. And if he can come to them and say, look, I'm not perfect, I have not arrived then no one else in the church should think that they have arrived. That they are perfect. That there's no more work for them to do. Paul wants to make that very clear. He has not arrived, and by extension, they have not arrived. And by further extension, what the Holy Spirit wants to communicate to us is that we have not arrived. We are not finished products as Christians. Um, we are still works in progress. Uh, we have not yet been perfected. And that, that's important because there are people who go around, don't they, saying that you can live a victorious Christian life. That you can be perfected. It's been a, a while since I've read the book, but I, I'm pretty sure in RC, it's in R.C. Sproul's Pleasing God that he talks about having a conversation with a 19-year-old guy who's saying, I'm perfect. I I live the victorious Christian life. Um, And R.C. Spool tries taking him through certain passages and says, well, you know, what about what Paul says in Romans 7? And he says, well, Paul hadn't received the second blessing. I have. And so R.C. Spool kind of said, well, let me get this straight. You're saying you're more, you've achieved more than the apostle Paul has achieved. You're holier than he is. And the guy said, yeah. Um, You know, and R.C. Sproul said, it was all I could do not to just attack him um, for that kind of level of arrogance. But there are people that will say that today, that you can live the victorious Christian life. And that if you're not living the victorious Christian life, it's because you've not received the second blessing. Um, Maybe you're, you maybe have heard the language, someone will say, you're just a carnal Christian. If you were a spirit-filled Christian, you'd be able to do these things. Well, I don't think from Scripture we can have any doubt that Paul was a spirit-filled Christian. Um, And he is saying to the church, we are not perfect. And that's an important starting point for us. Because if we think we've arrived, then we'll think there's nothing to do. And God's Word is very clear, you have not arrived. There's more to do in the Christian life. There's always going to be in our lives sin to put off. That's always going to be the case. There's always going to be sin to put off. 
there's always going to be righteousness to put on. We're not finished works. And I think it's clear here, right? If Paul's not a finished work, we are not finished works. Because what Paul recognizes is that he is not like Jesus yet. And maybe anytime we're tempted to feel happy with how far we've come, just ask yourself that simple question. Are you like Jesus now? Um, If you say yes to that question, come and see me. And I'll take you through God's word and tell you why you're not. Um, we are far from where Jesus was. And hopefully that in our lives will always remind us there's more to do. There's more we have to do. There's more we have to put off. There's more we have to put on. Uh, We're not finished products. We are not like Jesus yet. Of course, the news is not all bad. Paul says part of making an accurate assessment of yourself is recognizing that you are not yet perfect. You are not like Jesus yet but you do belong to him, right? You might not be perfect yet, but that's not the same thing as saying you're nothing, right? We're not perfect, but we are the possession of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the motivation for why we do what we do as Christians is not just what we aren't, but also what we are. And Paul points that out very powerfully in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I'm not perfect, but I'm his. That's the good news. That's the starting point for the Christian life. I'm not perfect, but I'm his. He has made me his own that he might do a spiritual work in me. That's always the trick in the Christian life, is to be in that understanding that there's more for me to do, but it's not my doing that makes me acceptable to God. That it's not my doing that ends up me making myself acceptable to God so that he will welcome me in. We always have to get that straight. Paul is not saying perfect yourself so that you can be acceptable to God. He's saying it the other way around. I'm not perfect, but I do belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore I do what I do. Um, We're not perfect, but we do belong to Christ. And making that accurate assessment involves doing both things. I'm not perfect, but I'm His. And the fact that we belong to Christ has powerful implications. Uh, C.S. Lewis summarizes them beautifully in his work, The Weight of Glory. Um, he, sa- he summarizes nicely the five promises that, that the scriptures make to the Christian. What does God promise the Christian? Um, and I like his summary. He has five points. Always good to have five points. Um, what, are his, what are his five points? That we will be with Christ, that we will be like Christ, that we will glory in Christ, that we will feast with and be fed by Christ, and that we will rule with Christ. God promises those things to his people in Scripture. Isn't that a beautiful summary of the promises of God? Now we know that we have those things now in part. 
We know we have them in promise, but we know we don't have them perfectly and fully yet. Right? We can, we can go down that list. Are we with Christ now? Don't worry, I won't go through all five, but just one as an example. Are we with Christ now? Yes, he promises he's with us to the very end of the age. Will it be something different to be with Christ when he comes again in glory? There will be something different about that being with Christ. right? To see his glory and to have faith in Christ turn into sight. right? Not have to believe in who he is because he's just right there in front of you. Uh, to have hope turn into reality. All the things that we hope in Christ being ours, to be with him and to see his glory. We know that there's a glory in being with Christ now, but it's a glory that's in part and in promise now. And that one day it will be full and it will be perfect. Um, And who will accomplish that? It's the Lord who will accomplish that. It's the Lord who will bring that into fullness. It's the Lord who will bring that into perfection at his coming. And so now he's given us his spirit, that his spirit might work in us, conforming us to the image of his son and being a down payment for us until we receive the fullness of the inheritance that's ours. That's the beauty of what Paul says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Right, we have those promises in part. But we know they will be full and perfected in us because the Holy Spirit has been given us as a down payment. Because the Spirit is with us, we know that one day all of those things will be ours. All of those things that Scripture promises us. Um, And so what are we to do until we take possession of it? How are we to live? Right, once we made that accurate assessment of who we are, who we aren't and who we are, how are we then to live? Well, we're to live in active pursuit of the things that please the Lord. And that's what Paul says. I understand who I am. I'm not already resurrected. I'm not already made perfect, but I do belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then what do I do? I press on towards the goal. That's what Paul says. I press on towards the goal. I press on to make these things my own. He says in verse 12, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in verse 14. Uh, That's where the athletic metaphor is coming in. Um, These pressing on to that goal. Um, Pressing on in this context means to move quickly and energetically towards some objective. Quickly and energetically towards some objective. Uh, And if we're going to talk about it in that way, maybe the best way to think about it is sort of like a 100-meter sprint. Um, That's maybe the the, the crowning achievement of the the energetic, quick pursuit of a goal. Um, It's it's always amazing to me when you watch the the 100 meters in the Olympics and you think, okay, in in less than 10 seconds, this race is going to be decided. All these these hours, all of these 
you know, endless repetitions that they go through trying to figure this out, and then they're going to run, and in less than 10 seconds, it's going to be over, and you're going to find out where you rank in the world. And I always thought it was cool, boys and girls, because if you win that race, they call you the fastest human being on the planet. Um, I've never felt like that, but just think about that. If you could say, I'm the, f- I never could say that, but think about it. you could maybe say that, that I'm the fastest human being on the planet. We had someone in our church in Torrance who had run in the Olympics in the 84 Olympics. And you would talk to her and you would think to yourself, you're one of the fastest human beings on the planet. Right? And you don't get to be one of the fastest human beings on the planet without work. Without work beforehand, but without work especially in that race, pressing on for that goal. Um, And that's how Paul's using the language here. We're to press on. And it should be a reminder to us that being a possession of the Lord Jesus Christ then is no excuse for inaction. Right? We, we can never say to ourselves, because I belong to the Lord, he doesn't ask anything of me. That I'm not called to do anything. No, Paul says we're called to actively pursue these things. We're called to press on. Uh, to not allow ourselves to think that there's nothing I need to do or nothing I need to be engaged in. Paul says quite the opposite. I press on to make these things my own. And what is the goal towards which he's pressing? Well, it's perfection. It's the thing that will one day be his. That's what he's pressing towards. That's the goal. And and it it shouldn't be any surprise to us that you aim for the top goal. Right? You wouldn't think much of an Olympian who said, my goal is to finish fifth. That's my, I'm shooting for that. You're like, you want to be two steps off the podium? What kind of an Olympian are you? That sounds like the kind of Olympian I would be. If I could just get in the race, I'd be happy. Right? Um, no, uh, every Olympian says, I want the top prize. That's what I'm in this for. And Paul says it's the same thing with the Christian. What, is, what, is, what, what do we want? We want to be like Jesus. That's, that's the goal. And so if you say to the Christian, what are we shooting for in this life? We're shooting to be like Jesus. That's what Paul's saying I'm pressing on towards. That's the goal. When the old self will be completely put off, completely put to death, and I don't struggle anymore. When I I find myself no longer doing the things that I hate to do and the things that, that I know God hates, to put those off, that's what I want. And to put on fully the things that please God. That I can rejoice in the things that he rejoices in. When I will be like Jesus. That's what I want. That's what Paul's saying he presses on towards. That's his goal. That's the upward call. To be like Christ. Now, of course, we have to remember that we do this in Christ Jesus. Right again, Jesus puts us in the race. Jesus brings us through the race. We don't do any of this ultimately in our own strength. Right? God doesn't set us on the course and say, now you finish. No, quite the opposite. The writer of Hebrews says, Christ is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the beginner and he's the ender. He's the perfecter of everything. So we don't try to do this in our own strength and we are not 
It's not down to us to make it happen. One day we will be perfected in Christ after this life. Paul says then the, the goal of this life is to shoot to try to be as like him as we can be. That's what I'm striving for. That's my mindset. Right? A single-minded focus. That's what athletes have, a focus. My dad likes to tell the story of meeting someone at Stanford who was an Olympic swimmer. She was a long-distance swimmer. My dad had been a long-distance swimmer in high school. And he said, what do you think about when you're swimming that long-distance race? There's a lot of time to think. And she said, the whole time I'm swimming, the only thing I think is, I've got to win. I've got to win. I've got to win. And my dad said, when he would swim, all he would ever think is, I'll never finish. I'll never finish. I'll never finish. And he said, that's the difference between an Olympic mentality. Because what was she thinking the whole time? I've got to win. I've got to win. I've got to win. And Paul's saying, if you're going to be a faithful servant of Christ Jesus, if you're going to be striving for the prize of that upper call, you have to have that that single-minded focus. So Paul's helping them, right? He's saying, this is is what I do. I'll, I'll tell you the one thing that I do. There's one thing that I do. Um, and, and in typical Pauline fashion, his one thing that he does has a negative aspect and a positive aspect. So he's not just saying, you know, we've got to strive to leave, leave, live the Christian life and then not tell us how to do it. He's saying, let me tell you how to do it. There's one thing I do. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. This is so important for the active pursuit of holiness in the Christian life, to do both of these things. First of all, to be able to forget what lies behind. Um, Now, if you watch the 100-meter sprint, you will not see someone looking over their shoulder to see where other people are. Um, that's no way to make that race work. You can't, you have to forget what lies behind. Um, One commentator said, I really like this, said, you have to forget both the pains and the gains. If we want to run this race well as Christians in this life, we have to forget what lies behind. Um, the guilt of the sins that we've committed in this life, the failures we've had, those are the pains of the Christian life. Um, we, we have to be able to forget those. And Paul had a lot of pains to forget in the Christian life. Right? There were a lot of things in his past that he would have wanted to forget. Paul, after all, was standing there with approval when they stoned Stephen for his faith. Paul was holding coats and and rejoicing that they were killing him. And he made that his career of destroying the church. That's why it was so hard for the church when Paul converted to Christ, right? That was part of the difficulty they had, Acts 9 13, and Ananias says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. 
Um, the magnitude of his evil was well known. Um, a few verses later in Acts 9.21, Christians would say, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? Um, the King James Version has he who destroyed those who called upon this name. There were things to forget in the life of Paul. And so is this just sort of psychological? You know, you just need to put that out of your mind. What allows us to forget the pains? It's the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has come and paid for them. You can forget them because God forgets them. Because they've been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ who came to die on the cross for the pains of our past. For our sins and for our guilt. And who assures us that because he's died for them and paid for them, God has put them behind his back and will remember them no more. You know, this isn't just psychology or just some cathartic experience of forgetting what lies behind. You can forget what lies behind because Christ has paid for the pain. It doesn't exist anymore in the justice of God. And so we can forget because God forgets. We need to forget what lies behind in terms of the pains, and we also need to forget what lies behind in terms of the gains. Right? The Olympic sprinter doesn't run 75 meters and then look over his shoulder and say, I've been doing a pretty good job so far. I'm killing it. Um, because what happens if you do that? You're going to get someone run past you. We've all seen races like that where someone, you know, is on a bike and they're about to cross the finish line and they put their hands up and they're going to coast and the guy who's working hard behind them shoots by them at the last minute. And he said, yeah, you, you, you got cocky. You thought you had it and you didn't. You hadn't run the race all the way to the finish. You were proud of the gains. I remember when Petco Park opened, it was hard to hit a home run, and people would hit one, and they'd go into their home run trot, and then they'd realize, oh, that's not out, and then they'd have to take off. You know, you can't admire your work in the Christian life either. Um, and Paul says, you have to forget both the pain of where you've failed and the gain of where you've come. You can't be focused on where you've been. You have to be focused on where you're going. You have to forget what lies behind, and you have to strain forward to what lies ahead. Um, because what, what is behind are your pains and your meager gains, but what lies ahead is Christ and his glory. Um, what, what fuels someone in the endeavor is seeing the goal and realizing that it's really close. Um, imagine what goes through that sprinter's mind as she thinks, I'm about to win. I put in the work, I got out of the blocks, I'm ahead all the way down, I'm coming to the tape, and I'm going to win. I'm here. All the work has paid off. I'm about to get there. Right? That's what Paul says fuels the Christian life, is straining forward to the goal. And we all have seen it, right? When they're about to get there, they all lean into it. They're straining to get across the line. And that's what Scripture is filled with as well. If we, if we see Christ clearly and we see what waits for us at the end of the line, who would not run towards that with all their might? 
Right, right. Imagine with me that after church is over, is over, you open the doors to go out, and instead of looking down the hall and just seeing the parking lot, you look down the hall and saw glory. And you knew that all you had to do was make it to the end of the hall, and you'd be home. Which one of us wouldn't make it down the hall as fast as we could? And those of us that don't move so quick, we'd still move as quick as we could move. And we'd crawl there if we needed to, to get to glory. That's what Paul's saying is he fixes his mind on what awaits him in Christ, and then he runs towards it. He makes that his goal. And he says, in effect, I won't be satisfied until I possess as much of Christ as I can possess in this life. Um, not to make himself something he's not. He belongs to Christ. He will be perfected. But his desire is to do as much with his life as he can to reach that goal. You see how it puts it in such a positive way for Paul and none of that deadly duty that we so often struggle with? It's all him just running towards what he knows he will one day be. And that's what he's calling God's people to do as well. None of us will be perfected in this life. We won't reach perfection in this life. And the best any of us will do is make a small beginning. But what Paul says here is, I'm going to make as big of a beginning as I can make. I'm going to run towards Christ in the hope that one day I'm going to be fully perfected. One day I'll cross the finish line. One day I'll get there. And I'll be in glory. There's no excuse for spiritual laziness in the Christian life. Um, we all want to press on to higher levels of service to God for His sake. To have as much now a foretaste of what we one day will have with Christ in glory. And then Paul ends by saying that that act of pursuit has to be the goal of everyone. Right? That the, the Christian life is not simply an individual event. Um, it's a team event where we all need to have that same goal. We all need to have that same mindset. Um, we've all seen teams where not everybody has the same goal or mindset. You often see that with little kids playing sports. They don't all have the same goal. Right? Some of them are playing baseball. Some of them are out in the outfield chasing flowers or you know, chasing butterflies or doing whatever. They're not, not everybody's in the same goal. Um, but for a group to work together well, they all have to be pursuing the same goal. And Paul moves on to say, this is not just to be our each of our individual mindsets. That's what needs to be the mindset of the whole church. So we're all driving towards the same thing. Um, that's why he goes on to say that's what he does is press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. Uh, it's a little bit of a play on words because the word for mature is very close in Greek to the word perfect. So it's almost as if Paul's saying, I'm not perfect, but what I am is, is mature in my thinking. And I'm calling you all to be mature in your thinking as well. We all need to have this goal, this mindset, this drive. Um, let those of us who are mature think this way. Um, and he also reminds them that not everybody is at the same level. 
Right? He said, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Um, what it's a reminder to us is we're not all at the same point. Um, his hope is certainly that God's revelation will continue to do its work. Those who have grown in grace and a knowledge of Christ will continue to grow in grace and a knowledge of Christ. That those who are not yet fully mature will become fully mature. That God will reveal that to them as he's revealed it to the more mature. But what does that help remind us as a group of people trying to run towards the same goal? It will remind us that some of us are going to be further ahead than others. Some of us are going to be more mature than others. And, and to deal with the people that are lagging behind, it's going to require patience. Right? Paul said, we're trying to be faithful, but be patient with the people that lie behind. The people who don't think this way yet, God will reveal it to them. We need to be patient with the people that lie behind. And if there are people behind us that we try to help encourage them. We're always struck by images of races where racers are struggling and they're not going to make it and somebody goes back and helps them. Right? That, that's what the Christian life calls for as well, that we be helping each other run this race. It isn't that what Paul's doing as a mature Christian. He's coming to people who think they're perfected and saying, you're way further behind than you think you are. So let me come back to where you are and help you along. Um, isn't that what the Lord Jesus Christ does for all of us? He's endured. He's run the race. He's finished. And he comes back and helps each one of us come across the line. Um, every Christian from all of history can testify, the Lord helped me finish this race. And Paul, that's, that's why in, in, in Hebrews 12, there's that image used of the great cloud of witnesses, the people who are there watching us in the race who have already finished and who've already won, who've already crossed and who are all able to testify, the Lord will help you cross as well. And the writer of Hebrews says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Forget what lies behind. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, what does this testify to us? The race will be finished and won. That we don't strive towards perfection as a goal that we'll never reach. We strive to reach as much of it as we can in this life with the hopes that we will reach it in the life to come. That one day we will be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so God's word says to us, keep striving. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Press on 
towards that goal. And when the past bogs you down, remember that the gains and the pains have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ and press on to that goal that will one day be ours um, because he will make sure that we cross the line and receive the reward. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for its calling to us by your spirit that we are to press on towards the goal of the upward call in Christ Jesus. We confess with Paul that we are not made perfect yet. We have not attained these things, but we praise you that you have made us your own by Christ, that we do belong to him, that he is the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who guarantees that we will run this race and receive the reward. And so would you help us in this life by your spirit and in Christ Jesus to make as much of a beginning as we can make, to strive ahead, to put that focus on forgetting what lies behind and straining towards that perfection that will one day be ours in Christ. Thank you for the reminder that that day is coming soon. And until it comes, may we run the race with endurance, looking always to Christ. Hear us and help us in these things, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Being focused 